Well, thanks, Sarah. Good morning. Welcome to Auckland EV. I'm Rowan, one of the pastors here. And how great is it to be gathered together in our new building? It's pretty exciting. Um, I hope the chairs hold up uh, for your sake. Um, but uh, what a great list of names. I don't know if you're thinking about children and having children and some kids' names. Uh, turning to Genesis uh, 10 and 11 is a great place to start. But actually, what is this part of the Bible all about? Why don't we spend a moment asking God to help us to understand His Word as we look at it together. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for your word today. As we gather together, as we think through what you would have to say to us, that we would hear your word as you speaking. We would think through how we might respond to it. And by your spirit, you would comfort us and you would show us where we don't see the world the way you do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, unity is an idea that almost universally we all aspire to, isn't it? Whether it's around race or uh, an idea or a nation or a problem, there's something so attractive about being united, being together. If you think throughout history, there's been people who've pulled together people with different words. I have a dream, echoed Martin Luther King. A dream that on, the day, on one day, the Red Hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. Unity is at the heart of those words. Or, or another man, one small step for man, a giant leap for mankind. Said Neil Armstrong as he put a united foot forward for the first time on the face of the moon in 1969. Nelson Mandela, during my lifetime, I have dedicated myself to the struggle of the African people. I have fought against white domination and I have fought against black domination. I have cherished the ideal of a democratic and free society in which all persons live together in harmony with equal opportunities. It's an ideal which I hope to live for and to achieve, but if needs be, it's an ideal for which I'm prepared to die. Unity, the idea of us being one together, standing as one people and one humanity. Imagine what it would be like. Imagine the heights we could conquer. Imagine the problems we could solve, the, the way that we'd be standing alongside one another, the, the issues that would be resolved and the um, divisions that could be put away with. But what I want to put to you today is that unity is not humanity's greatest goal, but unity is our greatest threat. Unity is our greatest threat as humanity. See, one of the clearest pictures of humanity we get, where people are together with one voice and one purpose as one people, is right here in Genesis 11. Have a look with me. Genesis 11, verse 1. The whole earth had the same language and vocabulary. As people migrated from the east, they found a valley in the land of Shinar and settled there. See, every inhabitant of the earth was united. There were no countries, no different cultures, no opposing governments, no wars. What we're about to see here is a picture of just what united humanity can be like. <laughs> but before we deal with that, I don't know if you picked up the significant problem in the passage this week. There's a fairly significant problem we've got to deal with. If you've been alert to reading the Bible, you would have picked it up in Genesis 20 verse 10. See, most of us don't recognize it because it's in the middle of a genealogy. And who reads genealogies for fun? Maybe a few kind of lawyers? I don't know. But it's just a big long list of names. Lots of us don't have much idea how to say. 
But when you're in the middle of your Bible and you come across these lists, it's so easy and tempting to say, oh, let's just skip it and go to chapter 11. I actually said that to Sarah this morning. I'm like, maybe it'd just be easier to read from chapter 11, verse 1, all the way through. But 10 verse 20, it's on the screen. These are Ham's sons by their clans, according to their languages in the lands and their nations. Did you see it? It says the whole world had one language in chapter 11. But in chapter 10, it says there are different languages. Do you see that? According to their clans, their languages, their lands and their nations. What's going on here? You know, there's an order problem that we come across as we read the Bible. Did Moses have a brain snap when he was writing this down and he kind of forgot? No, see, chapter 10, verse 20 is called the table of the nations. It's the account of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and all their children and their children's children. And what happens is it spans all the way from before chapter 11 to all the way past chapter 11. We're so used to books being chronological, but this is not chronological in that way. Chapter 10 goes over more of it. So chapter 11 happens in the middle, historically and chronologically, of chapter 10. How do we know this? Well, it tells us. Look at verse 25 of chapter 10. Eber had two sons. One was named Peleg, for during his days the earth was divided. His brother was named Joktan. Did you see it? The earth was divided during the days of Peleg. That's chapter 11 right there. So why would Moses go all the way past these events and come back to it? Well, I think there's two reasons as we come to this. Firstly, because of chapter 9, verse 1. We read it as we looked at the story of Noah. God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. God had given instructions to Noah and his family to fill the earth, to spread out across the land and multiply on the earth. And chapter 10 is there to show you that's what they did. That's what they did. They spread out. That's why there's so many, here are the sons, here are the sons. You're just hearing fulfillment of Genesis, fulfillment of God's um, word to fill the earth and subdue it and to spread out. And he's just seeing fulfillment, fulfillment, fulfillment. And they get at it. They're like rabbits, right? There's children everywhere and they're not even all of them. And that's it's such a positive chapter. We see here children are such a blessing the majority of the time. <laughs> but throughout the Bible, there are a number of trends that are exceedingly clear. One of them is that children are an amazing privilege. Not a burden, but a joy to be shared. And for many of us that have been struggling or have struggled to have children, you'll know the pain of not being able to have a child, that desire. And, and that's a real hole, something that God may not have said yes to yet. He doesn't promise we'll all be able to have kids. But it's a natural sense for, within marriage to be able to have children. And if you're feeling that desire, don't think you're weird that there's something wrong with you because it's part of the joys of this world. And that's why chapter 10 is such a positive passage because it celebrates this filling and multiplying that needed to go on after the flood. The second reason I think that the, these chapters overlap here is because we need to understand where Moses is at contextually when he wrote this. He was leading Israel when he wrote this down and recorded it into the promised land. They're about to head into the promised land. They're about to go in and dispossess a nation of people who are already there. They're going to wipe them out. And you think, whoa, when Moses is writing this, they're about to head in and take out these nations. Why is that okay? Well, Genesis 15 verse 16, it says this. In the fourth generation, they will return here for the iniquity of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. They were going in to dispossess, to take out and wipe out these people called the Amorites. 
which was an act of God's judgment. These people weren't innocent people just sitting there, kind of playing knots and crosses on, on the gravel on the ground. Um, there were people who were in rebellion against God. We know who these Amorites were because of chapter 10, verse 6. Ham's sons, Cush, Mizarim, Put, and Canaan. That's who they were. Canaan is right there. Canaan fathered Sidon, his firstborn, and Heth, as well as the Jebusites, the Amorites, there they are, and the Girgashites. The Amorites were all born to Canaan, who was born from Ham, who was born from Noah. And if you remember who Ham was, Ham was the son who, we didn't cover it in last week's sermon, but it was in the passage, who acted disgracefully. See, what happened was Noah did this amazing thing. He hopped off the boat. He sacrificed and worshipped God. He put God first. And then he really quickly, the scriptures tell us, grew a vineyard, drank some wine, got drunk. And you're like, oh, it was so good. And it kind of went to custard straight away. Well, fermented. And then, and then he got drunk. And then what happens is Ham, his son, comes in, sees him lying naked in his tent. And rather than just covering him up, he goes and gets his brothers and say, hey, come and look at dad. And brings disgrace on Noah. Ham was the shameful one. It was a bit of a sham. Ham. There you go. Just made that up there. And Ham's sons turn out to be just like their father. What we see here is that the family tree in Genesis 10, a whole nation starts to bear the characteristics of Ham. There's a side point here we need to recognize. Lots of people think our parenting impacts our children, which, which it does. But what's on view here is something much, much bigger. Our parenting not only impacts our children, but our children's, children's, children's children. You see these generations here. Our parenting actually has an, a huge impact on society. It's not just about your kids, it's about your kids, kids, kids. The table of a nation shows this. It shows the effect and how important it is to do the best you can to point them to our great God. In the early 1900s, a guy by the name of Albert Winship, he did a study and he looked into two families who lived in the 1700s and he studied all their descendants from that point on. One couple and their children were a disaster. <laughs> their descendants were particularly troublesome. Let, you, let me tell you, over half of the women are either what he calls harlots or prostitutes. Seven murderers, 60 were thieves, 130 were sent to prison. Of the 20 who learned a trade, 10 of them learned it in prison. So that's one family. Another family were a couple called the Edwards. Um, the descendants of this family were very different. In the 200 years that, that godly marriage went on, they served Jesus, they trust Jesus. You might have heard of the Edwards family. Jonathan Edwards was his name. 13 university presidents, 65 professors, 100 lawyers and a dean of a law school, not sure that's positive, 30 judges, 60 doctors and a dean of a medical school, 80 holders of public office, including three United States senators, three mayors of large cities, three state governors and a vice president of the United States, as well as the controller of the United States Treasury. Amongst them, they wrote 135 books. They directed banks, insurance companies, owned coal mines, iron plants and vast oil interests. I'll quote to you Winship, the guy who did the study on these two families. They entered Christian ministry in platoons and sent hundreds of missionaries overseas. 
You see here, there seems to be a difference. Now, it doesn't always work out that way, but just general wisdom tells us that if we care about our children, not just our children, but our children's children and our children's children's children, we need to pass on to them the hope of the gospel. And here was a family, Jonathan Edwards and his wife, who held to the news of Jesus, who put God first and saw the best that they could to see their family put Jesus at the center. And humanly speaking, it had a, a, a tremendous impact. The Bible calls us to step back and see there are bigger things going on than just living for this week, for this month and for this year. It made me realize again and afresh that the way we parent matters. When it comes to parenting, think big, set up traditions, act intentionally, put the Word of God at the center. And as we think about if you don't have children, think about how we operate as a church to love and look after other kids and to be seeing church as a family and loving and looking after one another as we do that. Remembering that God works His plans sovereignly as well. He works through our failures as we prayerfully depend on Him. What we see here is parenting changes nations. Well, as we draw our attention back to chapter 11 and the unity that mankind has created, we see another pattern emerging. And this is the significance of the East. Significance of the East, if you're following on the outlines. Now, it might not seem much, but there's a history to this movement to the East. If you remember back to Genesis in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3.24, Adam and Eve were kicked out of the Garden and we're told they left to the East. In chapter 4, verse 17, Cain, in the presence of God, lived in the land of Nod, which was east of the garden. Here in Genesis 11, verse 2, we see a move further to the east. This movement here is actually a picture of moving further and further and further away from the center of God's blessing. Movement to the east is, is bad. It's a movement further and further away from God. And here we see this movement sets a tone of everything that's to follow. Look at verse 2 of chapter 11. As people migrated from the east or to the east, they found a valley in the land of Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make oven-fired bricks. They used bricks for stone and asphalt for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the sky. Here is humanity's ingenuity and resourcefulness in its triumph. To build a tower in a place where there are no stones... We just go, oh yeah, bricks and mortar, they made them. Usually they didn't do that. They got rocks, they got stones. But here they've gone, you know what we can do? We can make stones. We, we all take concrete for granted, right? You're sitting on it right now. It's all concrete. But, but they would have had to do this with stones previously. But these guys got, I know, let's make bricks that we can build. And so they show their resourcefulness. Now, I imagine what they were thinking as they were building this together was something like this. There you go. Modern day Dubai. Now, I don't know if you've ever been there, but that Burj Khalif is incredibly high, over 800 meters tall. When you stand there, it feels like it's just towering above everything else. It's, it's three times the sky tower. Imagine putting three sky towers on top of each other. And, you th- and this is what mankind has built. I imagine, and, and by the way, this is in the middle, that's why I took this photo, of a desert. There's no rocks like around it. They've kind of made everything here. As you kind of fly into Dubai, you just see it's just desert everywhere around. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Boom, city. I imagine what's going on in the minds of these people in Genesis 11 is that we can say, look at us. Look at this city we can build. Look at our human ingenuity. 
But thanks to human ingenuity and a lot of oil, we've created here a human oasis. But there's also a problem with human ingenuity. A problem with human ingenuity. In Genesis 9, God said to fill out, to spread out and fill the earth. And these people said, no, we want to build this city together. I want the praise of me to be sounded from every corner of the planet, said these people. I wanted everyone to look at us and see how great we were, rather than come to the God who made us all, who made everything, and us point to Him and say, how great are you? So Christians, these people here, like Christians today, clump together. We clump together in our little ghettos, refusing to reach out of our comfort zones into the communities around us. We're afraid of, of going out, maybe. Meeting people who might disagree with us. We, we fill our calendars with such a close-knit, like-minded group of people that we kind of clump together and stick together and go, oh, I just want to build the little kingdom of me. Let me ask you today, how are you going about speaking authentically about your love for God? About serving Him and worshipping Him in the world around? Or are you clumping together in a little city of like-minded people that just agree with you and you never reach out from them? Now, I've been so impressed with the number of stories I've heard of people inviting people to explaining Christianity, inviting them to our, to our launch next week and to Easter, all the cards that are in your outlines. Uh, we had a heap of people at explaining this last Explaining Christianity, and there's a number signed up already. I want to encourage you, keep doing that. Keep reaching out. But the biggest problem with the people in Genesis 11 was their reason for doing it all. And we hear that reason in verse 4. They said, Come, let us build ourselves a city. And a tower with its top in the sky. Let's make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered throughout the earth. Let's make a name for ourselves. Let's make a name for ourselves. The desire to make a name for ourselves is classic, isn't it? It's definitely a classic male issue. Guys are pretty simple, really. We just want to impress. We like big things, big towers, big boats, big cars, big houses, it's as if we think, you know, if we had a, a cool car or a big house, everyone would think that we're so much more special. From women, uh, from what I can tell, and I don't ever imagine to be an expert in that area of the world, but from what I can understand, it's not the size of things that impresses women, but how many zeros are on the price tag. That's what I've worked out sometimes. It's not about building a tower, but a reputation, caring about what people think about us about how we look, how we come across, what my friends say, what they will say if I do this or that. It's about building our own egos. You might not be in those two kind of generalities, but we substitute so many different things. We want our friends to look at us and think we're, we're special, we're different, that you know they've just got life all together. The issue here in Genesis 11 is not the tower, but the desire for a towering reputation. That's the issue. If I'm honest with myself, one of my biggest fears is anonymity, that, that actually you do nothing in life, to get to the end of my life and have given nothing a go. But I wonder how much of that is pride. Whether we're athletes or actors, politicians or preachers, pride sits under so many of our decisions. Let me ask you today, where is pride driving you to make a name for yourself? To build a kingdom of you rather than the kingdom of God. 
What's the driving force behind the decisions that you make? Why you live where you live? What job you have? What you do with your time? Of course, there's going to be times where we're worried about security. And of course, there's going to be moments where we find ourselves seeking our own glory. What do you do with those times? Do you give in to them and say, oh, well, I'm just going to let them continue? Or do you say, no, I actually need to stop and recognize that it's God who's given me these skills. It's God who's given me this opportunity, that I want to serve Him. We've been freed from having to make ourselves the center of the world, freed from having to achieve perfection, because we can't. And in Jesus, we've been given everything, security, glory, longevity, life to the full. Any moment of our lives that isn't lived to glorify God is a waste of our lives. It's unfulfilling and futile. Now, I, don't, I don't mean that like washing up is a waste of time. You can't use that to get out of the washing up or working or sleeping or gardening or investing. All those things are helpful. But anything we do that at its heart is at the expense of bringing glory to God is a total and utter waste of time. Let me say it again. Anything that we do that at its heart is at the expense of bringing glory to God It's a total and utter waste of time. More than that, it's actually rebellion against the God who made us to serve Him and live for Him. It's saying, I'm going to serve myself and bring glory to me rather than you who made me and gave everything to me. God's glory will last forever. His name will be the name that everyone will worship. When Philippians tells us that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, that is the future of eternity. That is what matters. And so those whose security and hope are focused on Jesus and the hope that He's given us when He died on the cross and took the penalty for our rebellion, the penalty for turning our backs on Him, the penalty for putting ourselves at the center of our lives, then we have security. We have hope when we trust in Jesus because that is a certainty. We get to live life freed from having to build our own reputation and recognizing the towering reputation of the one who died for us. Those tower builders would try to make a name for themselves, but just not the name they hoped for. Their name would become a joke. A joke. Have a look at verse 5. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. Now, I, I love the humor here. I don't know if you can see it, but it, it's awesome. The Lord came down. You can imagine God going, oh, Wow, that's a big tower you're building there. So Moses tells you he had to come down to him. He had to bend down and have a bit of effort to kind of see what was going on. And look at this tiny little anthill on the ground compared to the God who created the universe, who spoke and stars flung into space that takes light. You know, the furthest star we can see with a human eye is like 13 billion light years away that it took light that long to get to us. He's like... You built a tower. Look at what I made. <laughs> I did it with just words, let there be light. How are you going with that? Did you go, let there be concrete? No, you had to work it out and take all the stuff I gave and mix it all together. I did it from nothing, out of nothing. And then it could only happen because I maintained the laws of the universe. The only reason your little tower on the ground is staying on the ground is because I'm letting gravity hold it there. What if I turn gravity off for a bit? We can see what would happen then. You see, 
Moses is recording what has gone on here. He's showing how God had to bend down to them, that their greatest efforts were a joke. But do hear the warning. James 4 says this, Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we'll go to this city and spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. We need to understand who we are. (laughs) Tower of Babel people. Tower of reputation. We so often think that we are great or that we could be great, but we're to look at the stars to be reminded the heavens declare the glory of God. The stars proclaim His handiwork. Day after day, they pour out speech. Night after night, they pour out knowledge. God is in control. He has made the world. Oh, do you feel the freedom from recognizing we don't need to build our reputation? We don't need to come together to see human unity reach new heights. We can point to the God who has done far better than we ever would. So God comes down to these tower builders and puts a stop to their rebellion, to them thinking that they can build their own city themselves. He comes down and confuses their language so they can't go on because otherwise they'd try and build it and say, look how great we are. One of the things that um, I, think, I think this is true. One of the things that makes me laugh about the Burj Khalif is that the guy that was building it was building it to say how great I am. He was building it to say, look, look how amazing this kind of great tower is. But they ran out of money toward the end and they had to go um, to another leader of, of another city uh, to get a loan to be able to pay off this building. And he said, there's one condition. There's one condition as you build this building that you can have the money. And they said, what's that? He said, you name it after me. So in the end, that tower, Burj Khalifa, is not named after the one who built it, but the one who lent the money. Now, I think that's true. I need to check my memory on that. You can fact check me later. Don't do it now, though. (laughs) But God confuses their language so they won't build this for their own reputation. So the world won't go on divided and actually recognize who is in control of it all. He's not some petty control freak. He's not some angry or vengeful God. See, he's stopping humanity from the most serious problem we have. The most serious problem we have is not sickness, it's not loss of job or cancer, a wife or a husband who deserts you or children who are completely messed up. They're all horrible things that are the consequences of our rebellion against God and they might last a lifetime. But the Bible's view is the worst thing that can happen to someone is they become apathetic toward God. That they ignore the God of the universe so that their death, at their death, God is a stranger to them. When they face him on that last day, those words that are so scary will be heard. Away from me, for I never knew you. The delusion of self-sufficiency pushes us towards apathy to our God. If these tower builders continue down their path of self-sufficiency, They'll think they don't need God. They'll think He's irrelevant. And humanity will have no need for God. And oh, don't you feel like that's the world we live in today? They'll think they are God and run the universe, but it will end up being a train wreck. Remember, we were made in the image of God to rule the world under God. 
If this humanity who is uniting together would stay together, they could create a common unity around humanity. They would be two things, like God, powerful rulers, ingenious creators, but also unlike God because they'd be full of self-centeredness, evil, hate and destruction. Just think about the advances we've made as humanity, despite the divisions. We've made so many advances in medicine, haven't we? Amazing things can happen with, with the sicknesses that we have and being able to get rid of them and drugs to cure them. But we've also created biological warfare that can kind of attack humanity and take people out. You think about the way that we've brought electricity and power to the face of the earth. You know, we can, we can harness the geothermal energy. We can use hydroelectric energy. We can use wind. People have even created kind of, you know, nuclear power stations to see power come out. But what have we done with it? Turned into nuclear bombs. You think about the way that we've been able to communicate now with, with the book and the printing press and then the internet and how widely we can share communication methods we have. And we're like, wow, this is amazing. Look what we've done as humanity. Then what do we do with it? We use it for the pr proliferation of things like porn and abuse. Just about every technological advance we have made, despite its good intention, has been or will be used destructively. And that's with a humanity that's divided, that, that thinks differently with each other. Imagine what we would have done if we were all united. We would have been together worshipping ourselves. So when you see disunity in the world around, there's a sense where that's a, a sign of God's mercy. A sign of God not letting us all get on together. Because if we did all get on together in this broken world without our hearts fixed, it would be tragic because we would be worshipping ourselves Unity around humanity is a total and utter disaster of an idea because humanity is broken. Because humanity is in a race to make God irrelevant, to ride out our creator and sustainer of all things. And so God graciously divides. Do you see how good it is? He limits our ability to ignore him. The unity that this world needs is not unity around humanity. It's not around humanitarian aid, although we do need humanitarian aid. It's not a united nation's form of world peace. The unity this world needs is to be united around our King. The true and living God who deserves to be glorified, who deserves to be put at the center of our lives, who made all things. In Colossians, we read that everything was made by Him, for Him and through Him. Jesus is the center of what we ought to be united on and in and around and worshipping Him for that. Two thousand years ago, as Jesus died, He then rose again. He spent some time with His followers and then ascended to the right hand of the Father. And he said to his followers as he did that, it is better for me to go and for the Spirit, the Comforter, to come than for me to stay on earth. You're like, really? It's better for the Spirit to come and, and Jesus to ascend than, than to him to stay here? And that happened. The day that the Spirit came, what happened? It was the day of Pentecost. And the Spirit was poured out and Peter got up to speak in, in the forecourts of the temple area and spoke to everyone about Jesus' life, death and resurrection and the fact that they had crucified the King of the universe, the Messiah, the promised King. And then God poured out His Spirit and everyone heard Him speaking in their own language. The languages of the world were divided. At Pentecost, we've got an undoing of what God did in Genesis 11. 
around Jesus as they speak, God says, here is the moment when I let my people speak and the whole world in all their languages can be united as he points to my son. The undoing of Genesis 11 is the coming of God's Spirit as people speak the Word of God and people hear the Word of God in their own languages and understand who Jesus is and that He is the center of our world. The disciples then go out united, not in their name and pointing to themselves in any way, but united in the preaching of the news of Jesus, of being in Him, trusting in Him, putting our lives in Him, God gives these people the ability to speak across cultural and political boundaries because the message of God's kingdom is the goal for all human unity. Friends, as we look at the world around us and see its brokenness and long for the days that people would not be fighting anymore, what we long for is not just unity because that will end in self-service of humanity and pushing God aside. No, human unity is dreadful. What we long for is the day that the world is united in Christ. That people come and trust Jesus as their king. They put him at the center of their lives. A unity where we tell the world around us about Jesus, that he made them, that he's in control of the world, that he's coming back again to judge the living and the dead, that he's died in my place, that he's taken the penalty for my sin, that I can stand forgiven before the God of the universe, even though I'm guilty because Jesus took the penalty for me. That's what we get to be united about. That's what we get to put in the center of our lives. That's what true worship is, living for the unity the gospel brings. So this morning, as we think through the great tower builders of Genesis 11, God prompts us to think, what towering thing are you building in your life, in your community, in your family? Are you living for your own reputation and glory, or are you living for the creator of the universe? As we come to God's Word this morning, we're reminded again of how good God's division is and the fact that the world is divided because if it wasn't, we'll be worshipping ourselves. There is God's mercy in this division. And then we're reminded of the amazing unity that comes in and only through the news of Jesus. And because of what Jesus has done, we can stand forgiven on that last day. We can live our lives for the reputation that will last forever And that's the reputation of our King. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's what Paul says in Philippians 2. Let's go away from this passage today and write that on the mirrors of our bathrooms. Put that in in, in the thought patterns of, of our lives that we live for God's glory. And that is life to the full. Can I encourage you this morning? to experience the joy of living for Jesus and the freedom that that brings. Let's pray. Father God, we confess that so often we are building our own reputations. We are building ourselves as as people who put ourselves at the center of the world. We're sorry for the times that we've done that. We're sorry for the times we've focused on our own pride and reputation and And we ask that you would help us to see the much better and truer and fuller picture of your son. That we might live for Jesus. Show us, Lord, where we're not doing that. Encourage us with the joy that it is to put Jesus at the center and help us to live our lives pointing to him. 
Lord God, we are so thankful today for so many great things, like this building that we can gather together in. But Lord, we ask that this will in no way, shape or form ever go to our own pride, but to be a tool, as Steve said, a rain shelter that helps us proclaim your kingdom, that more and more people might come to know you and trust you, not for any of our glory, but solely for yours. We pray, Lord, less of us and more of your son, Jesus. By your spirit and through your word, we pray you'd send us into the world boldly this Christmas coming and Easter before it, (laughs) boldly this Easter, that we'd be able to proclaim Jesus and invite people to come to know you and love you. Give us boldness, give us courage to live for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recording from Auckland EV. We hope you found it helpful. And if you'd like to find out more about Jesus or about church, we'd love to get in touch. So check out our website at aucklandev.co.nz for more details. Thanks for listening.